This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. But hey, what we want to do, what we want to do tonight is dive into John chapter 15. And so if you would, let's go ahead and get right to it. John 15, 1 through 5. We're going to be in five verses, and honestly, this is, these are five of the richest verses in all of God's Word. And so if you would open up to John 15 and stand to your feet for me. I'm going to read these first five verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's go ahead and have a seat. Hey, Lord, even as we dive into this, I... um, Hey, Father, tonight I'm just going to ask you, Lord, that you would do, I mean, even by the end of this sermon, what we're going to end up celebrating is the fact that we're asking you every day of our lives to do things in us that we cannot do in ourselves. Father, you would not just move us out of the way, not just strengthen us to become better, but like your word says, that like your, your desire for us is that just like you were crucified, that we would be crucified with you. And I would be crucified with you, Christ, so that it's no longer I who live, but it's you who lives through me. Father, that everything about, everything about the old me, everything about the old me would be gone, dead and gone. And in its place that I would walk in newness of life. That would be a brand new man who does things that when the world looks and sees, they say that is impossible for that man to do. And so, Lord, I just ask you, Invite us all into what it looks like to be the kind of people who really do, I mean, that our one focus, our sole purpose in life is to live abiding in you, connected to you deeply and intimately, knowing you, walking with you every day. And Lord, thank you that at the roots of me, I know eternity is written on my heart. And I know that every single person in this room and every person outside of this room, that the deepest longing that they have is to know you, is to walk with you, Lord, is to to recognize that they're a son and daughter of their good father, and that eternity is planted in our hearts, and that everything in us longs to be with you. And in the meantime, our one desire is that we would do everything we can to please you, but recognizing that all the pleasing you is not done by a big list of things that we fulfill and check off, but is done by resting done by abiding in you. So Lord, may by the end of this sermon, by the end of this evening, by the time we walk out of this place, I pray that, pray that all of us, Lord, are at a place of deeper rest, deeper dependence, and deeper trust in you. In your name, for your glory. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 15. We've gotten to, we're kind of nearing, we're nearing the end. I don't know if you all remember where we are kind of in the timeline of the life story of Jesus, but by John 15, We've just had the last supper he's going to have with his disciples. 
That was in John 13. He gets to wash their feet. The last thing he does to Judas before he betrays him is wash his feet. And then finally, he has this, there's all these, there's these last like four or five chapters here at the end, last four chapters, that, that Jesus is going to spend just teaching his disciples, teaching, reminding them the most important things. It's all going to culminate in John 17 when he prays in the garden. First, prays for himself. Second, prays for his disciples. And then third, prays for us. And so right now, we're like right in the middle of this. This is the, the grand finale teaching of Jesus. And what we have right here is actually the final of seven I am statements. This is one of the things that marks the gospel of John as being kind of unique from the others is there are these seven I am statements that are Jesus kind of declaring, here's who I am. Here's who, what I came to fulfill from the Old Testament. Here's what I came to change. Here's what I came to satisfy. The first one was, he said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. If you eat me, you never hunger again. He is utter satisfaction. That was compared to what they saw from Moses, which is when they got the manna from heaven. He said, hey, the manna, that was just a tease. That was just sent to you. That was sent to your ancestors in such a way as to let you know, hey, this is not going to forever satisfy. There's something better coming. So he's the better manna. Next, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Who came into a dark world so we could see clearly. The third, he is the gate. These are both from John 10. He's the gate and he's the good shepherd. He's the gate that keeps his sheep in. He's the good shepherd who guards, watches, and protects them and who doesn't let any of them out of his hand. Next, he's the resurrection and he's the life. This is what he says right there at the resurrection of Lazarus. Right before he raises Lazarus from the dead, when he's talking to his sister, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then we got one more that we just saw last chapter, John chapter 14. First few verses, he's talking, he's telling the disciples, hey, there's something great coming. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. All right, I'm going back to my father. And this was this kind of marital conversation he was having. That sounds weird, but what happened was back in the day, when you were, if you got married as a Jewish young man, or you know, like a, a Jewish man specifically, when they were going to get married, they would go to their father. And they'd say, hey, I think I got the girl. And he'd be like, all right, who is it? And then he'd go talk to the other girl, to the girl's dad. They'd kind of get approval. And at that point, they didn't start dating. They didn't, like, prepare to get married. What would happen is that young man would then begin to build onto his house, his father's house. So, ladies, you all got to go move in with the in-laws. Woo, all right. So he would start building onto his father's house. And Jesus tells, tells his disciples, hey, in the same way that you all have this expectation that like a young man builds onto the father's house, builds onto the father's house, and finally one day the father would come in and check it. Every day, one day he'd come in and say, hey, I think it's ready. You can go get your bride. And at that point, this girl better have good friends who are going to get word to her, hey, he's coming, and you'd better get your wedding dress ready because today's your wedding day. It would happen that impromptu. And Jesus is saying the same way, I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you know how to get to me. And one of his disciples like, how do we know? How do we know how to get to you? And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, it's John 14, 6. And now, finally, we've got the last of the I am statements of Jesus. All right, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. My Father is the vine dresser. And now you're going to bear fruit. 
So as we get to this last I am statement, it was really sweet. Um, and this morning, Andrew, you did an amazing job just getting to walk through this passage and what it looked like. And I may actually ask you at the end just to put up those, um, all just the list of things that were the delineations between it, what it means to be a person who abides and a person who doesn't. But the first thing that we need to look at is something really simple. When you abide, you obey. So the whole theme, the whole theme of these, these five verses and everything that we're going to read after this in John 15, it comes down to this one simple word, abide. Are you a person who abides in Christ? Okay, so what does that mean? Now, he gives us this comparison. He says, it's like a vine and a branch. And I was thinking about that this week. I was, uh, I, I don't, does anybody in here, um, does anybody in here love yard work? Anybody? Anybody loves yard work? Yeah, one? Okay, we got one individual. I was, I am not, I'm not that person. I cannot stand yard work. And this week, this was the week when all the leaves began to fall. And I'm not lying. It was Saturday. I, last Saturday, cleaned up all the leaves in the yard, front and back, got them all bagged. It was great. Saturday night, yard's full again. At that point, my wife gets home. I thought you were going to do something with the yard. You know, I'm like, ah. So Sunday, do it all over again. Wake up Monday, leaving the house for the, leaving the house to come to a staff meeting, covered again. I'm like, oh, I hate this. I hate this. And, but all those leaves, you know the thing about those leaves that's so obnoxious? Like, they're brown and they're decaying. And they're getting to that place where, like, they're slowly getting crunchy. You know what I'm talking about? And the one thing I know about the leaves in my front yard, they're never coming back to life. Because they've been detached from the tree. Now, if I'm going to see a leaf in the front yard, that's, that's the one thing I can rest confidently in. That, that leaf is dead. It's never going to be, it's never going to come back to life again. In the same way, guys, if you're a branch that's detached from the vine, if you're not connected in deep relationship with Jesus, you're not going to do anything. It's the one thing you can know about a branch that's detached from a vine is it's dead. When I was studying this, I, was, I ran into some Francis Chan sermons about it, and I love Francis Chan. That guy's fantastic. And he was, when he was preaching, he talked about like this branch and how, how ridiculous it would seem. Like if I took, I just went outside and got one of these out of the back, so... It may still have some bugs on it or something. I wouldn't recommend handling this later. But this branch, all right, this, this has come off of one of the trees that was out here in front of the BCM. Now, we know that this branch is dead. This branch is not going to bear fruit. So what I want us to look at is what does it mean to be a branch that abides and what does it mean to be a branch that fails to abide? And when I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about like what it looks like because typically the way that we try to do life the way that I hear a lot of people talk about what it means to know that they're in Christ, they say, well, if I'm going to abide and I'm going to bear fruit, that means that there are some things I need to do. So I need to have this list of things that I do. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to share my faith. I need to behave properly. I need to stop some things. I need to start some other things. And one thing I've noticed, one thing I've noticed that's really, really easy for us to do is that it is easy for us to change this order. Because when you abide, you obey. That's what the scripture says. But oftentimes I find in my own heart what I'm prone to think is, man, that when I obey, or wait, that when, when you obey, that you're abiding. Now, they sound like they're going to be really similar, but the order is incredibly important. Do I abide in order to obey? Or do I just obey, 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 and hoping that that's going to confirm my abiding? What do I mean by that? 
All right. Scripture says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, um, there's this, this passage that I've, I learned a long time ago because um, my mom, I think, did you teach me the Fruit of the Spirit song? Mate, was it you, Dad? All right. So there's this, there's this kid's song, and I'm actually, um, I'm going to make you all participate in this. We're all going to sing a song together. All right. We're going to get a little bit wild. Now, here's the deal. If you all stand up and you all just look at me awkwardly, this is going to be weird. But if you just embrace it and we all decide to act like five-year-olds together, this could be the most fun you've ever had in church. All right, so what I need is everybody please stand to your feet. Okay, stand to your feet. Now I'm going to teach you the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, this is in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit is, everybody count with me, put your hands up. Blank slate, they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One more time, a little faster. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, against such things there is no law. Now, stay standing because this is where the fun begins. Go ahead and get a little bit of elbow room. Go right next to somebody. Make sure you spread out a little bit because we're going to learn a song. It's going to teach us these. It'll get stuck in your head. You're going to hate me later, but at the same time, many years Many years from now, when you still remember the fruits of the Spirit, you'll be grateful. Because what we need to know is, we know what the fruits of the Spirit are, but I want to tell you what the fruits of the Spirit are not. For instance, the fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Everybody take your hand, knock on your head, and make this noise. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, oh. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, I'm only going to make you do one more. One more. All right, this is going to be watermelon. The fruit of the Spirit's not a... You might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, oh. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh. Now we whisper it. Because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sit back down. You look ridiculous. All right. (laughs) We'll see if we have time at the end, Mom. Oh, thank you all so much. Thank you. Give yourselves a round of applause. That was fantastic. Woo! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Now, now I know that song is, is a little outlandish, but I'm telling you, I will never forget the fruit of the Spirit, ever. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And actually, that simple kid's song teaches us one of the most important lessons in all of God's Word. And here's what that lesson is. That these are the things that the Spirit of God is going to wake up in you. Now, most of the time, the attitude is this. Like, okay, I need to improve myself. I need to behave better. I need to do I need to do more right things, and then I need to come to God and say, God, look, here's what I've done. Please save me. When you talk to most people, most people in our culture, especially here in kind of the Bible Belt, and you ask them, hey, 
where are you going to spend eternity? If they say heaven, how do you know that? The vast majority of the answer is going to be behavioral based. Because I've done these good things. I've tried not to do these bad things. Now here's one of the interesting things about this passage. And I actually learned this. I learned this one day when I was singing that song. I was singing that song with a group of kids. And a little five-year-old comes up to me and she goes, she goes, Mr. Kurt, Mr. Kurt. And I'm like in the middle of the song, you know, I'm like, faith, faith, you're going to have to wait a little bit. So finally, in between verse, Mr. Kurt, Mr. Kurt. I say, yes, I was singing it. The fruits of the spirit, the fruits are. And she goes, it's not the fruits are, it's the fruit is. And I was like, you're going to stop and make a grammar repair in the middle of the song? Come on, a little disrespectful, little girl. And then I like open up my Bible real quick and I'm like, wait, it is. It's not the fruits of the Spirit are, it's the fruit is. Now, why is that important? Because if it's singular, not plural, then here's what that means. The Spirit of God is not going to wake up love but leave out joy. He's not going to make you gentle but completely disregard self-control. This is not like a few things that he'll do, like, oh, I'm good at six of them, bad at three. No, no, no. The Spirit of God is always going to be doing the same thing. When he maps out these nine fruits, he's saying, this is who I am. And if you are a branch abiding in a vine, this is who you're going to become. And if you're somebody who just says, well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty loving and joyful, you know, and I've got peace, but man, I'm really, really impatient. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's not what the Spirit does. And it's kind of like when I was thinking about this and I saw the Francis Chan sermon, he was kind of just talking about what it meant to be a branch. And he was like, this, this branch isn't going to grow. And I just started thinking, you know, now here's the deal. Guys, this passage, when it's talking about us being a branch that abides in the vine, what he's saying is, it's like, guys, this, he says, you can do nothing. You can do nothing without me. There's one of those passages when I read, I'm like, okay, yeah, but Lord, I, I know you say that, but you, you have to mean there's some behavioral modification required. And I find the more and more I read God's word and the more I lean into what it means to love him and just to see the effects of what simply loving him does in my life, I realize he, he really does not want me to just go after behavioral modification. He really wants to do something in me that I cannot do in myself. Because this gets us, this gets us to kind of like the heart of the matter. And it's really the heart of what Jesus was preaching at the time. He's surrounded by all these religious leaders. And they all had lists. They had all these lists of things that you had to do. By the time Jesus showed up, so you know how there were the Ten Commandments? By the time Jesus showed up, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders had taken those Ten Commandments. And they had added to them, and added to them, and added to them. Until by the time he arrived on the scene, there were over 600 laws and requirements to be a good Jew. 600. And Jesus comes and he takes the Ten Commandments and what's he do? They're like, hey, what's, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He takes the ten and instead of growing it to 613, he condenses it to two. Because... Because Jesus knew something, he lived something, he demonstrated something that every true believer in Jesus gets to live and experience every day. And it's this. God wants to do something in you that you cannot do in yourself. Which leads me to one simple conclusion. 
If your life is humanly possible, man, it's time to get connected to the vine. Because, guys, if you're living a life, if you're living a life that somebody can look at and say, man, they really behave well. I, I realized this. I talked about it a few weeks ago, about a month ago now, when I was preaching on Judas. And I recognized that Judas, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, a lot of what he did was really, really right behavior. So much so that the guys that he lived life in front of, the disciples, when he was leaving to betray the Son of God, they assumed he was going to give money to the poor. How crazy is that? And why was it? Because Judas, Judas had learned to do something that, to be honest, I think there's often been times in my own life I've learned to do. He's taken a lot of really selfish, prideful things and put Jesus wrapping paper around them. Because, guys, it is easy to get wrapped up in a Christian subculture or be surrounded by people that you know if you behave well and if you perform rightly, that they'll exalt you and they'll like you more. They'll favor you. And, guys, the only person that really gets to know, gets to know if you're a person who's bearing fruit by just duct taping it to a branch or whether or not you're somebody who's truly abiding, is you. And the ways to know that are they're pretty simple. It's what does it mean to be a person that rests in the Lord? You guys, I want to tell you, uh, God's not looking for you to change yourself to come to him. He, God changes those that come to him. And that sounds so simple. And even as I was like writing this stuff down in my notes, and as I was like, trying to pray through this this week. I was like, man, Lord, this is so basic. But even as I wrote it down, I was like, Lord, I, but I need this reminder. I need this reminder that you're not up there in heaven waiting for me to figure out how to behave better. That you truly want me to rest and to first of all admit that I cannot change me. Only God can change me. I can't. And here's the weird thing. If you and I can change ourselves, if we can remove sin from our life without being attached to the vine, then the rest of the gospel ceases to be true. And Jesus' death and resurrection and his shed blood was a waste. And guys, like this is, this is it. Like This is the root of the gospel that you and I not just one time at the beginning of our Christian life, but every day of our lives that we go to God and we say, Lord, I can do nothing on my own. Nothing. It doesn't matter what I've learned. It doesn't matter like the things that I've, the good habits that I've built. Those things can be fantastic and wonderful. Guys, I can do nothing without him. And why is that so important? Because the son of God came down to this earth with all the power of God inside of, inside of him. And you know what he said? I can do nothing on my own. Nothing. There was a, we got a friend, uh, we got a friend named Ted Litt, who is uh, just an amazing man. He's this dude that like, I mean, when you meet him, like after you talk to him for a couple of minutes, you just kind of want to go, aw. Like he's just, he's just cute. You know, I don't know how it's, which sounds weird because he's actually a manly dude who's like a machinist and is, does every masculine thing known to man. But when you meet him, he's got such a soft heart that you're just like, oh. And I love Ted Litt. And I remember my mom was talking to him a couple, um, I guess a couple years ago, because he'd worked in a vineyard. And she was talking to him about what it looked like to, 
to be a branch on a vine and what that meant, and especially when it comes to pruning. Because this passage says that, like, he prunes those that he loves, like that he, he prunes, he takes things away. He said that when a branch is going to be healthy, that by the end of a branch's life, it has to lose 70% of itself. 70% of the vine will be cut off in order for it to be a healthy, fruit-bearing plant. 70%. I was like, man. But then I looked at my life and I thought, yeah, <laughs> you know what? That's, a, that's a, the way it feels, like that, that the Lord comes in to prune. And it says in, in this passage, it says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And Andrew and I are talking about this week that this word clean, like you're already clean, it's got the same root as the word pruned. Like you're already pruned. You know this already. He's talking to his disciples specifically because of the word that I've spoken to you. In essence, he's saying like, hey, guys, in the, in the depths of you, you know this. You get this. You recognize you can do nothing on your own. And those moments when you completely lean into me, like you've known what that freedom looks like. And they're really going to know it here in just a couple of months. When right in 10 days after the ascension of Jesus back into heaven, the Spirit of God comes on them in power. When I was reading, uh, it was even today as we were kind of getting to the end of the sermon, I was just I was sitting there thinking, Lord, what does it look like for me to be a branch on the vine? What does it look like for me? To be a man who admits, I, have, I can do nothing on my own. Only thing I got going for me is my connection to the vine. What does it mean for me to be a man who doesn't try to work really hard and duct tape fruit to myself? What does it mean for me to be a man that really recognizes the only strength I have is being a man who loves Jesus and recognizes that I'm loved by him? And I, I thought of this passage. It was kind of random because it wouldn't seem like it would apply. It's Romans 8, 28, and it's a really common passage, one that I rest in quite a bit and I've been meditating on, especially in the past couple of years, uniquely. And I read it in the uh, Amplified version of the Bible, which Amplified is it's in most of your Bible apps. You've got the Bible app. It's in there. But it's a, it's a version where they've taken some of the nuances of the Greek and Hebrew in the original language and tried to kind of work some of those out. And this is what it said. It said, we are assured and we know that God, being a partner in our labor, that now all things work together for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. I was reading that, and suddenly it hit me like, this is the difference. This is the difference. The person who's living detached from the vine, the person who's trying to do everything they can to earn God's favor, what they're doing is they're working for a God who they think is distant and far away in heaven. But the invitation of the gospel is beautiful. It's I never leave you and I never forsake you. It's Jesus saying to his disciples, hey, you actually want me to leave, to ascend to heaven so that my Holy Spirit will come and dwell within you. Not help you occasionally, but live inside of you and empower you to do what only, what only I could do. All right, now when that happens... When that happens, it's no longer that we're doing something for God, but every single thing that we do at that point, we're doing with him. We're doing with him. Co-laboring is the word that Scripture uses, to partner with him. Andrew ended the sermon today with this, this really beautiful thought. He said, you have one job, one job, and that one job is to abide, to be a person who abides in Christ. Okay, what does that mean? John chapter 6, 
verse 29. The more we talked about this week, the more my mind kept going back to this one simple thought. And it's when some people come to Jesus and they're like, all right, how do we do it? What do we do to be good Christians? How do we become like, how do we, what do we change? What do we need to do differently? What action should we take? And Jesus looks at him and he says, believe in the one that he sent. Just believe in the one that he sent. That's it. Just believe. And guys, this is, this is the ultimate offense of the gospel. That everything in us, everything in us is bent on wanting to find something we can do. Something that we can do to make ourselves feel like we, we did it. Like I finally did. I finally earned God's favor. I finally did that one thing, that one thing for God. And all he's saying is, guys, I just want you to get convinced that you can do nothing without me. To lean on me completely. Hey, Andrew, if you'll put up your list of things. This was, Andrew gave us this list during the sermon this morning that I thought was really sweet. And it was this list of ways that you can know that you are not abiding. List of ways the abiding life. You know you aren't abiding when you can't shake the pressure you feel from having too much to do and too little time. If you're always rushing, you routinely fire off quick opinions and judgments. If you're often fearful about the future, if you're overly concerned with what others think, if you're defensive, easily offended, you're routinely preoccupied and distracted. You consistently ignore stress, anxiety, tightness in your body. If you feel enthusiastic or unenthusiastic or threatened by other people's success, if you routinely spend more time talking than listening. Guys, the truth is, even as we studied this, I realized, man, the scary thing to me about this silly demonstration of literally taping a golden crisp apple or honey crisp apple to a branch? Is it like the only difference between this and a branch with fruit on it in the life of a believer? Only person who knows is the individual. Like I, could, I can give you a list. I can give you a list of really, really cool things that I get to do on a weekly basis. I can tell you like some really holy habits that I've built in my life. I can tell you like a big list of accomplishments, you know, of things that I, I think would sound really cool. And sometimes I've done that for people, especially when I'm at places where I don't feel fulfilled. But truth be told, because there are things that I've done that I could tell you that are really, really cool stories that I believe God has written in my life. But a lot of ways, during those seasons and those times, I was just duct taping fruit to a dead branch. And the only one who really gets to know Am I really bearing a fruit that's abiding in Jesus? Or am I just trying to come up with what I think is the right reaction to be a good Christian? The only person who knows that's you. So we're going to look at ten different things that exemplify what it means a person who lives an abiding life. And at the end, I kind of intentionally planned tonight to be like, I want to talk for a little bit, and then we're going to pick the guitars back up. We're going to invite you guys to take communion. But really... One thing that I've gotten super convinced of in the past, especially this past year, I heard the Lord one day as I was praying before giving a sermon, I was like real nervous because like preaching is new for me. I've done singing my whole life. I've even talked at retreats and stuff, but like to preach through a passage was like really new and kind of scary. And I was real nervous, like, Lord, am I going to be good at it? Oh, like all this. And one day as I was praying, I just felt like the Lord reminded me, hey, Kurt, the most important sermon that's going to be preached every week at Commonwealth City Church 
is not the one that comes through the microphone. It's the second sermon that my spirit speaks and that my spirit preaches to each individual. And guys, that just gives me a lot of comfort to know. I'm, I'm going to tell you the things the Lord's taught us. Andrew, whoever gets to come up here and get to speak and to share their heart with you, hopefully we're going to do a fantastic job of getting to take the Word of God and honor it. But I encourage you, always be listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Because He knows you better than I know you. He knows you better than you know you. And He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly the Word that you need to hear. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to read this list of 10 things. And then you got about 20, 30 minutes here at the end, however long it gets to take, for us just to get to get along with the Lord. Get along with Jesus. You can do that by taking communion. You can do that by going back to the back to grab a donut. You can do whatever you need to do. You want to come up here and get on your knees and your face before Jesus? Absolutely, I'd love that. But regardless of what that looks like for you, I encourage you, lean in and ask the Lord, Jesus, what does it mean for me to abide? What does it mean for me to recognize the same thing you recognize when you are on earth? I can do nothing on my own. Twelve signs that you're living an abiding life. I'm relaxed and unhurried and deeply aware of God's great love. I can appreciate and love one person at a time. I'm content amidst suffering and setbacks. I praise and promote others easily and joyfully. I'm generous with my time, my money, my gifts. I listen for God's voice and listen throughout the day. I forgive others and let go of hurts. I'm prudent in conversations and discernment. I'm playful and able to laugh easily. I get up quickly when I fail or when I fall. I respond to criticism graciously. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Lord, even when I, earlier when I was reading that list of the fruits from Galatians 5, and I, Lord, it was hitting me like there's, I still am prone to read that and think, oh, yeah, I'm kind of good at that one, and I'm not so good at that one. Lord, I thank you that you're not like that. I thank you, Father, that like the things that you do in our hearts and the things that you, that you wake up in us, Lord, like you, you do them completely. And it's not just like, oh, man, I want to improve you a little bit. You really do. You really do want to put me to death. And in my place, you want your life to get to bear fruit. And so, Father, I do ask you, I ask you, Lord, like teach every one of us what it means to be a person who abides in you, who rests in you, who loves you deeply. Father, who recognizes that like we have nothing going for us except for our connection to you. Lord, right now I'm just going to ask you that you, would, uh, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would convict of sin. Father, but more than anything else, that you would invite us, Lord, that you would invite us into life with you, that you would invite us into what it means to be a branch connected to the vine. And Father, you the great vine dresser, I just want to thank you. I thank you for the way that you prune. I thank you for the fact that pruning is just one way that you say I love you. That for you to take things away from us that would hurt us or would keep us from the fullness that your cross and resurrection has purchased. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to prune. Thank you that pruning is not punishment, that it's grace. And so, Lord, we invite you, prune us. Prune us tonight, Lord. 
And don't just, I don't just mean take away bad things, take away sin, Lord. I mean take away anything in me that does not look like an identical twin to Jesus. That's what I want more than anything.